Chapter 30 of Say and Seal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eloquent of Applebacksville, Pennsylvania. Say and Seal by Susan Warner. Chapter 30. The quiet of that very peaceful evening was for a short time interrupted by a call from Dr. Harrison. The doctor came, he said, to see how Mr. Linden felt after his day's work, and to tell Faith that his exhibition was in readiness for her, and only waited a sunny day and her presence. It was agreed that if the sun did not fail of showing itself the next afternoon, Faith should not. Tuesday was fair, and the afternoon came on brilliant with sunbeams. But the doctor's steps did not reach Mrs. Derrick's door by some minutes so soon as he had purposed they should. Passing down the main street of Pettaquasset, Dr. Harrison described before him the well-known figure of Squire Stottenberg, and the less familiar outlines of Squire Deacon. And the doctor's near approach procured him the favor of an introduction to the latter gentleman, either because the squire desired it, or because the other squire was tired of his companion and wanted to be off, which he was, as soon as the introduction was over." for in Mr. Stoutenberg's eyes the buttonhole of Dr. Harrison's soft coat was no more precious, to say the least, than that of his own grey rough and ready. "'Squire Deacon is anxious about the state of Mr. Linden's health, doctor,' he said. "'I refer him to you.' The doctor made a slight inclination, graceful as all his inclinations were, but also slight, intimating that he would have the honour of satisfying Mr. Deacon's inquiries but desired nothing more of him. "'How's he getting along?' said Squire Deacon, feeling the social duty thus imposed upon him. "'There is hope that he will be restored to his pristine state of strength in the course of a few weeks, sir.' "'A few weeks?' said Squire Deacon. "'Why, he's in school again, ain't he?' "'He has gone in a carriage,' said the doctor, who for some unaccountable reason had taken a fit of perversity. "'I understand he was in school yesterday.' "'Did you know him afore he come here, doctor?' "'I had not that honour, sir, till I came here myself.' "'Well, I never saw anybody as did,' said Squire Deacon. "'I suppose he comes from somewhere.' "'I doubt it,' said Dr. Harrison, with the slightest possible elevation of his eyebrows for an instant. Squire Deacon, however, was not just the fool Dr. Harrison took him for, of which fact a little gleam in his eyes gave notice.' "'Taint extraordinary you don't like him, doctor,' he said carelessly. "'Mr. Linden's a fine man, but most any pair of wheels is one too many in some roads.' "'I never followed a wheelbarrow, sir,' said the doctor. "'I suppose from your allusion you have. May I be honoured with your further commands?' "'Wheelbarrows have only one wheel, mostly,' said Squire Deacon composedly. "'You know better than I, sir.' "'Might I inquire why you are anxious about the state of Mr. Linden's health?' "'Don't know as I said I was anxious,' said Squire Deacon. "'When a man's lived in a place as long as he has, "'it's nothing wonderful if folks ask whether he's going to hold on. "'All the women in my house think he's dead and buried now.' "'Ah, he's a favourite in that line, is he?' "'Other lines just as much, for all I know,' said the squire." "'Can't say I ever just went in for all Mr. Simlin says, nor all Parson Summers says, neither. Can't help that, doctor, if he is one of your folks. "'What have you against him?' 
I don't say nothing against him, said Squire Diggin, except he's a fine man. Maybe you think that is? Is there anything further you would like to say on any subject, sir? Not much, I guess, if that's the time of day, said Squire Deacon, looking at him with a queer little bit of a smile. Tain't useful to get stirred up that way, doctor, just because a man wishes you a good journey. But I can just as easy wish you another overturn. I suppose you're pretty sure to get one or the other out of the horses. It's all one to me, and I dare say it is to everybody else. "'What is your name, sir?' said the doctor, standing and looking at him in a sort of mazed consideration. "'My name's Sam Deacon,' said the squire with his peculiar sort of sullen composure. "'Your father and I have always been friends, anyhow.' "'Then, Mr. Deacon, will you have the goodness to understand that I am not an agent for the transaction of Mr. Linden's affairs? But as I am a friend of his, I will inform him that you are interested in the subject. That is all, sir?' "'I'll go bail for the first part of that,' said Squire Deacon. "'But it's your affairs I'm talking of, not his'n. "'And I suppose I've as good a right as all the rest of Patacwasset, "'and give no offence neither. "'I was gone to make you my compliments, doctor. "'That's all. "'And if you don't think you'll ever want em, "'why, there's no harm done, and enough said. "'All I want to know is, what do you get so stirred up for?' "'Is that all?' said the doctor.' as if he had a mind to know the whole before giving an answer. "'All what?' said Squire Deacon. "'All that you wish to communicate.' "'I haven't communicated anything yet,' said the squire. "'I guess you knew all that before.' <laughs> "'Well,' said the doctor, half laughing, though his expression had changed more than once during the last five minutes, "'then my answer is easy. "'In the first place, Mr. Deacon, I have no affairs. "'Therefore it is impossible to talk about them.' In the second place, when I am in want of your compliments, I will send you mine. In the third place, I declare I am at a loss how to answer you, for the only thing I ever get stirred up for is my breakfast. Good afternoon. Staying no more civilities, the doctor made the best of his way to Mrs. Derrick's. Faith was ready for him, and more gently with her, he set out on the road back again. It was not a time of day to meet people. One familiar face, however, they did meet, Squire Deacon. His eye did not seek Faith's face, but rested on the doctor with full effect. Arrived at the judge's house, the doctor led her to the library, and there unlocked the door of a little cabinet room. On a table in the window, standing in the full sunshine, was the object of their visit. It was simply a fine little aquarium. More delightfully new to Faith's eyes nothing could be, as the same eyes showed. While they explored the wonders of the box, the doctor at his ease proceeded to unfold to her the various meanings of them. He enlarged upon the habits and characters of the several inmates of the aquarium. He explained to her the philosophy of keeping the balance of vegetable and animal life, and thereby preserving both. He told which creature lived upon which other, what office they severally, some of them, performed for the small section of ocean in which they lived, and its vitrified shores. And then, taking up the subject of sea anemones, the doctor told stories of natural truth that with these living specimens before her entranced faith out of all knowledge of place or time. Dr. Harrison asked no more. He gave her what she liked, and with admirable tact abstained from putting himself forward. 
any further than a quick eye, excellent speech, and full and accurate mind must make themselves known, and most gentle and graceful attention make itself felt. Do you suppose, said he, when Faith was absorbedly watching the anemones feed, that Mrs. Derrick would give this thing house room? Faith looked, but half comprehending. I am not always here, said the doctor carelessly, as he was supplying another bit of flesh to the voracious flower, and I should like to have it somewhere that it would be taken care of. If I left it to Sophie for a week, I should expect to find on my return that the vegetables and fishes had eaten up each other. Don't you admire that crab? Very much, said Faith. This little fish is just like some of the shells down on the shore. He came from the shore somewhere, said the doctor. Little monster! The ocean world isn't much better than the world of earth, apparently, Miss Derrick. Do you think the earth world is like that, said Faith? Don't you? I don't know what it is like. If you will permit me to say so, I hope you never will. Any further than as you choose to make this a miniature of that. And things in miniature are much less, said the doctor abstractedly, looking at the anemone. Would you like to have this little ocean box in your house for a while, Miss Faith? It could just as well as not. Indeed, it would be rather a benefit to me. Oh, I should like it, said Faith. But I should be afraid of its getting broken, Dr. Harrison. I am not afraid, said he. It would be in less danger there than here. As I told you, Sophie neither knows nor cares anything about such things, and she would either kill them with kindness or forget them altogether. Most likely do both alternately. But with you they would be safe, for the simple reason that you love them. The sunbeams had left the window before Faith was at all aware of the passing away of the afternoon, and then, for once to her joy, Miss Harrison could not be found. They set out to walk home, and had got halfway when a little rush of footsteps came up behind them, and Reuben and Sam passed by, arm in arm, or rather half by, then paused and said good evening. "'Oh, have you seen Mr. Linden tonight, Dr. Harrison?' said Sam. "'Good evening, sir,' said the doctor. "'Have I the honor of knowing you?' "'I should think you might,' said Sam, in a tone not at all displeased. "'But it don't signify much. Have you seen him tonight, doctor?' "'I should think I might, too,' said Dr. Harrison, looking coolly over the young giant. "'Allow me to observe that tonight is not come yet.' "'Did you ever?' said Sam, in an aside to Reuben, who had stood perfectly still without speaking. "'Well, any time since he got home, then, sir?' "'No, sir.' "'Have you, Miss Faith?' said Reuben. "'No, Reuben. I am just going home. What's the matter?' "'Why, he fainted in school, that's all,' said Sam. "'He said there was nothing the matter, "'only we were going down to see how he got home, "'and I thought maybe the doctor might tell us first. "'And not saying for more words, "'the two boys walked on a few steps, "'then set off and soon ran themselves out of sight. "'The other two quickened their walk, "'the doctor moderating his steps, however, "'to suit the strength of his companion. "'But she soon took the lead, "'and Mrs. Derrick's house was reached "'in as short a space of time as the ground might be traveled without a speed which Faith did not dare assume. There was nothing alarming in the little parlor. Mrs. Derrick sat knitting, Mr. Linden had been reading, but now was talking, half laughing, half chiding, with the two boys who stood before him. 
Reuben stood silent, smiling a little. Sam's energy was at work. Faith came in quietly, with a face to which all her quick walk had not brought back the color. She said nothing, but the doctor's tongue was fray. "'Why, what's this, Lyndon?' "'This is... Lyndon,' said that gentleman coolly. "'No, boys, go off. I think I can live without seeing either of you again till tomorrow. What's the matter, Dr. Harrison?' "'Just and precisely what I was asking,' said the doctor, while Faith glided to her mother and, sitting down by her, whispered inquiry. But Mrs. Derrick knew nothing, had heard nothing, apparently. "'It's for you to state the case,' said Mr. Linden. "'You speak as if you had a warrant of arrest in your pocket.' "'Why?' said the doctor, standing and looking down upon him. "'Here's a wind that has blown from nowhere. Do you want me to lodge information against yourself?' "'I don't wish to lodge any.' Linden, said the doctor, changing his tone to one of serious, kindly interest, while Faith's eyes from her more distant seat waited for the answer. What is the matter? What made you faint today? What nonsense have those boys been talking, said Mr. Linden, but his look carried the charge a little beyond the range of his words. I was faint for a while, not quite in a deadly swoon, however. That young scapegrace said and declared you had fainted. "'They are so used to their own red cheeks. "'They think red is the only color," said Mr. Linden. "'However, I believe he spoke true, "'but it was nothing worth speaking of after all. "'What was the cause?' "'I presumed a little upon the successful way "'in which I got through yesterday. "'Tried to do a little too much today, "'had one or two things to try me, and so. "'Which of my boys do you honor "'with that title of scapegrace? "'You mustn't do so again.' said the doctor seriously. "'There was no malice prepense today,' said Mr. Linden. "'What have you been about all the afternoon? "'I expect to hear that you have sailed up the Great Pyramid in a canal boat, "'or coasted Japan in a Chinese lantern.' "'Nearly right,' said the doctor. "'We have been enacting the part of the wise men of Gotham. "'I can't imagine where I ever heard of them. "'Who went to sea in a tub.' "'Went to sea. "'What?' said Mr. Linden, laughing. "'Went to see vast a pool,' said the doctor with perfect gravity. "'I hope you're better.' "'Don't I look well?' "'If I were to take the votes on that subject,' said the doctor, "'I presume the verdict would be unanimous. "'But looks are, proverbially, unsatisfactory. "'Do you know what damage you have done me "'by your exploit this afternoon?' "'I should be very glad to hear.' "'Why, you have brought me into discredit and disfavor "'with half Patequasset, man, "'because I have let you go out too soon, don't you see? "'Mrs. Derrick has already laid it to her account against me, "'which is getting to be a score I shall never dare to foot up.' "'Faith had left the room for a minute, "'and coming back again, began to make ready the table for tea. "'Dr. Harrison's eyes followed her. "'She was not looking as she had looked at his anemones, "'quiet, sweet, and grave.' She went round, gathering up the books, and arranging the cups and plates. But the doctor, though asked, would not stay. He went off, and the tea was brought in. "'Miss Faith,' said Mr. Linden, "'if you are half as ready for that exercise as I am, we shall get on superbly to-night.' She almost started. "'You, Mr. Linden? Oh, you're not fit for it.' "'Not fit for it? Miss Faith, how can you say that to me?' "'Let it be so to-night, Mr. Linden.' "'I shall do nothing of the kind, Miss Faith, by your leave. 
you know I can rest here most comfortably, and make you work, after the same fashion, I hope. I am a little afraid, he said, looking at her, that you are working too much. Why, Mr. Linden, how could I? By not keeping your studies well balanced with fresh air. Oh, no, she said, smiling. The work is a great deal better than the fresh air. Besides, I have been out today. You might as well say that bread is a great deal better than water. Yes, you have been out today. That is one good thing, and I shall try to throw somewhat into that scale myself, if I live. But I want all the books tonight, Miss Faith, and tomorrow, you know, is a half-holiday, but you need not expect to have one. Faith's tea went on after that in a manifestly different manner. Expeditiously the table was cleared after tea, and if ever Faith wrought with eager care to do perfections and save her teacher every word and thought that could be spared, she did it then. So the exercise was written, with most earnest guarding against anything German or sophisticated in her letters. Indeed, Faith's handwriting, by dint of taking pains, was fast growing into stiff correctness, not without a certain beauty, of promise at least, but stiff still. And with all her other lessons, of thought or memory, what earnest quick effort could do was done that night, and done upon the back of a sound preparation. Mr. Linden, however, did not spare himself words, riot much, and care not at all. Watching and guiding his pretty scholar with equal gravity, gentleness, and attention, rarely diverging from the business view of the subject, unless Faith grew timid or frightened, in which case he indulged himself with making her laugh, and so brought her back to business again. What views Mrs. Derrick took of the two, thus engaged, it would be hard to say, save that they were wondrous pleasant ones, a little puzzled, a little thoughtful, loving and pleased to the last degree. How much she studied those two faces! Not Faith herself bestowed more care upon what she was about, but Faith came to conclusions Mrs. Derrick never did, wanting help from the very person who cleared the path of learning for her daughter. His face, its gravity, its changes, she could not read, but she liked the study. The doctor's plan about the aquarium was excessively distasteful to Mrs. Derrick. She read the meaning and grounds of it, which Faith entirely failed to read. But then, to give them to her was hardly an advisable thing. So the aquarium came, after a few days, and Faith, having found that Mr. Linden could give her some help, if necessary, in the care of it, relieved her mind of all concern about the responsibility and took the full good of the trust. In a sunny window it was placed, and many a happy minute between the times of other things, Faith stood or sat there to watch the unfolding and shrinking anemones, and the restless, eager, wild lives of the other and more distinctly animal inhabitants of this little section of ocean. The only uncomfortable thing about it was that other people sometimes saw it and heard how it came there, and other people, Faith knew, drew very ridiculous inferences from nothing. And though ridiculous, they were disagreeable. But however, she knew best how it came there, and how simple the matter it was, and it was never the way of her simplicity to trouble itself over much about ridiculous things. Another person, it may be remarked, knew how it got there, and he found it pleasant to come and see it sometimes. This was generally in the afternoon now, when Mr. Linden was not at home, and Faith was not occupied in household duties. Pleasant talks were held over the aquarium, for there was never an end of things that might be told of old and new discoveries connected with what was in it. The conversations diverged often to other matters, 
religious, or scientific, as the case might be, and were clever, bright, interesting, or amusing accordingly, and invariably. And so the time wore on towards the twenty-ninth, but in the fourth week of Mr. Linden's return to school duties, Faith began to have a new lesson, or rather, she had it once and practiced upon it many times. That once was at the end of a Wednesday afternoon, in exquisite Indian summer weather. When other subjects being dismissed for the time, Mr. Linden gave his scholar an interesting and precise account of the process of respiration. Passing thence to the obvious benefits of fresh air, and finally requesting her to put on her things and come out and take them. After which, it may be observed, Faith was never heard to say that studies were a great deal better than fresh air, often as the walk was repeated. The other lessons made beautiful headway, even the French talks at dinner. That was harder to Faith than any other trial to which she had been put. She shrank from it with great shrinking, but the desire to please her teacher overcame even fear. Rather than not do that, Faith ventured, right or wrong, and once fairly launched, of course, with his good help and her own endeavors, soon got into smoother sailing. Mr. Linden and the doctor now met not often, the doctor making his visits, as has been said, during school time. They met oftenest, where the doctor went seldomest, in those rooms where Dr. Harrison did sometimes let his profession call him, where Mr. Linden was drawn by somewhat beyond profession. Sometimes this intercourse was only of the eye. Sometimes they walked home together, the curious friendship between them deepening, as it seemed, from all sources. Come home when Mr. Linden would, his room looked as if somebody had just stepped out of it. The fire was always in its best beauty, the hearth guiltless of ashes, the temperature genial, whatever the weather out of doors might be. The books, the papers, the table, in their wanted order or disorder, as fresh as if dust never fell, but the fairy of the place was always out of sight. End of chapter 30